Let's go ahead and turn to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. There was this guy, when I was in high school, I swam, and uh, there was this guy, we all had nicknames, and his nickname was Slick, because nicknames were always sort of assigned. Um, my nickname was Oops, because I had, had a major screw-up on one of my races, and so they nicknamed me Oops, and it was forced to stick. I had that word on the back of my shirt. But his name, we gave him, was Slick. And the reason we called him that, because, because this guy, he was a good-looking guy. He was fairly tall, muscular. He was one of our better swimmers. Um, held a number of records on the team. But he always boasted about his prowess with the ladies. He was always boasting about this girl and that girl that he had gone out with and how all the women thought he was sexy and all that kind of stuff. And he was also a lifeguard. And we had this position. Um, we all had chairs and stuff. And you would rotate because it was a big outdoor man-made lake. And so, you're, you know, you as a leopard, you would go sit on the chair. But then there was also two other positions that involved walking. One was called beach patrol, which would simply walk between the chairs. And then the other was called a rover, who would kind of do the same thing, but would also go up onto the beach and stuff. And whenever, whenever Slick would be beach patrol or rover, you could almost guarantee that every time he stopped by your chair, he would talk about his exploits how the women all thought he was just awesome. and But the funny thing is, we never saw him date. He always talked a big game. He always boasted about how the women all found him gorgeous and loved him. But in all of his years of high school, he never had a girlfriend as far as we know. We never saw him date or anything. And so it was basically just boasting. We're going to talk about that today, boasting, because generally speaking, boasting in the Bible is a very bad thing. It's a negative thing. But we're going to talk about that today. In chapters 10 through 13 of 2 Corinthians, Paul is in some respects trying to deal with these super apostles that had come into Corinth. And these super apostles, super apostles had come in boasting big games. About the, maybe about their, their credentials. Paul says they came with letters of recommendations. You know, they constantly spoke about each other and puffed each other up with pride. Um, it may be that they talked about their accomplishments at other places where they had taught, but they came in boasting about themselves. And the Corinthians had fallen prey to that. Now, that was a fairly common thing in the Greco Roman culture because philosophers were almost expected to boast about themselves. Philosophers were supposed to talk about themselves. In fact, the way that the Greeks and the Romans looked at people was that if you didn't boast about your own teaching and intelligence and skills and everything else, then you obviously didn't have enough confidence in yourself and didn't think that what you had to say was anything of any value. They placed an awful lot of um, emphasis on style and form and fashion and not much on content. And so these people had come in and the Corinthians, like you might expect, began to follow them. As part of this, as these men would come in, they boasted about themselves, but they also started knocking Paul. They would make comments, we're not exactly sure, but we can surmise from the text that they had a problem with Paul working with his hands because, you see, philosophers in Paul's day didn't work. Their work was talking. And so to work with your hands was a bad thing. To be a blue-collar worker was a bad thing. And so they apparently had knocked Paul, like, look, look at him. He works. He's a tent maker. They also appear to have slammed Paul on his oration skills. Paul had already told the Corinthians that he didn't come to them with fancy words and a lot of rhetoric and style. He came just preaching Christ. Well, these 
false super apostles apparently were disparaging Paul, saying, when he comes, he's just so weak. He's not, doesn't come with all this flash and flair. You know, when you think about today what makes so many of our um, popular Bible teachers and others popular is the style that they come with. And it's not always a bad thing. You know, we all enjoy somebody who can teach and in some respects will keep our attention as they teach. But these men, these false teachers, were apparently trying to encourage the Corinthians to abandon Paul for them instead and were using disparaging things. And so what we find today is Paul's going to do some boasting himself to counter that. Now we saw last week that Paul started that to some degree. He said, put up with, me, put up with my foolishness here. I'm going to go ahead and boast for a little bit. But he didn't do a lot of boasting last week. He's going to do it today. But he told us last week why he was willing to boast, even though it was considered foolishness. One was he did it because of his concern over their well-being. In other words, in order to counter these false teachers, he would need to boast to some degree. He would have to tout his credentials to counter their claims. So he did it out of concern, but then secondly, he did it to protect them. In other words, Paul boasted about one very specific thing last week, which was that he didn't charge for the gospel like the false teachers did. And he did that so that he could sort of take their platform away from them. In other words, they would come in boasting, they would charge, and Paul would say, I'm not going to give them that opportunity. They're going to have to compare themselves to what I do. I provide for my needs and the needs of my men. I work hard so that I'm not a burden to you, but these people have been a burden to you. And so Paul sets himself up in contrast. Well, today we're finally going to see Paul sort of drop the hammer, if you will. So the first thing I want us to see is that Paul resisted boasting in himself... And because of that, it made him look weak in the eyes of the Corinthians when they compared him to the false teachers. So that's part of what Paul dealt with, was that he looked weak because he did not boast. And for some, that becomes the motivation to boast, does it not? They don't want to look bad. Slick wanted to look good among all of us. Wanted us to think very highly of him. Wanted us to think that he had it with all the ladies. So he was driven to boast because otherwise he felt weak. Felt like maybe he wasn't as popular. They always talk about that, how people, when they bully, when they cut others down, oftentimes it's because they don't feel good about themselves. At least that's what people tell us. It's from a place of weakness. So look at what happens in verses 16 and 17 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says again, Let no one think me foolish, but if you do, receive me as foolish, so that I may also boast a little. What I am saying, I am not saying as the Lord would, but as in foolishness, in this confidence of boasting. The word Paul uses there to boast simply means to express an unusually high degree of confidence in someone or something. It means to speak highly of somebody. And so Paul basically says, go ahead and just put up with a little bit of foolishness here as I talk about myself in high fashion. As I, in some respects, speak highly of myself. It's used in both a positive and a negative way in the New Testament. In fact, I'll give you some examples. In chapter 7, verse 4 of the same book, Paul says, Great is my confidence in you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I'm filled with comfort. I'm overflowing with joy in in your affliction, or in all affliction. He says a few verses later, For if anything, I have boasted about you. I was not put to shame, but as we spoke of things to you in truth, so also our boasting before Titus proved to be true. He says in chapter 8, Therefore, openly before the churches, show them the proof of your love and our reason for boasting about you. So Paul's used this word elsewhere here to talk about how he's boasted about them. 
That's a good thing in the scriptures. We're supposed to boast about others, to speak highly of others. However, in the opening verse of our passage today, we see that Paul is going to do something a little different. He calls it foolishness, because in this case, Paul says he's going to boast about himself. Notice, too, that he writes that this is not something the Lord would do. What I'm saying, I'm not saying as the Lord would, but in foolishness in this confidence of boasting. In other words, he's basically saying, I don't feel right about this. I don't feel comfortable with this because it's foolishness for me to have to boast about myself. But it's also not something that's befitting of Christ. It's not something Christ would do. Paul refers to it a little bit later as boasting according to the flesh. In other words, boasting in oneself, one's own abilities or stature. And so Paul starts off this section today saying, I feel very uncomfortable about this. It's foolishness. It's not something Christ would do. Look at verses 18 through 19. Why would Paul call on the Corinthians to indulge him in such boasting, such foolishness? Well, the false apostles and their boasting had won over the Corinthians. Look at verse 18. He said, Since many boast according to the flesh, I will boast also. For you, being so wise, tolerate the foolish gladly. That's a little knock there. It's a little irony. Basically, he says, the reason I'm going to have to boast here is because you've been taken captive by the boasting of these false teachers. You seem to like it when people boast. Paul says in verse 19 there, for you being so wise, tolerate the foolish gladly. For you tolerate it if anyone enslaves you, anyone devours you, anyone takes advantage of you, anyone exalts himself, if anyone hits you in the face. Look at the things that he says there. They had enslaved them, they had devoured them, they had taken advantage of them, they had abused them. He says they hit you in the face. And so in some respects this is a rebuke. Paul had refused to boast about himself, but because they were so inclined to favor men who boasted, Paul said, you've put me in a very difficult spot. In order to to confront their boasting, I'm now going to have to share my credentials with you as well. I'm going to have to talk about me. Look at verse 21. He says, to my shame, I must say that we have been weak by comparison. So Paul, in some respects, is saying, I'm sorry I didn't share my own credentials with you because now I might look weak (coughs) to you. Because by comparison, we obviously can't live up to the standard these false apostles have set. But look at what he does in verse 21, then the second half of that. But in whatever respect anyone else is bold, now I speak in foolishness here, I'm just as bold myself. In other words, okay. Just as they're willing to be bold and tout their credentials and to talk about themselves and try to convince you that they're worthy of your attention, I'll do the same. I can be just as bold. I can share my credentials. I can do what they did. And so he's going to do that a little bit here. Now he says it's foolishness. You shouldn't have to do it. But he's going to add a little twist to it when he does it. Unlike the false apostles, Paul had legitimate reasons for boasting. That's our second point here. Paul had legitimate reasons for boasting, not like these false apostles. There's going to be three things that Paul highlights here. I'm sorry, four things that Paul highlights here. Four credentials, if you will. What sets him apart from this true, foolish boasting of the false apostles? 
versus what he's going to do. Verse 22, the first thing he tells us here, is that he's got the right heritage. Notice he says, are they Hebrews? Well, so am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. In other words, they didn't have that above Paul. Now that's important because of the religious heritage. Where did Christianity come from? Hebrews. And Paul is basically saying, I have just as much right to teach you as these clowns do because I have the right heritage, just like they might. Second thing he says is he could boast in his service and his suffering for Christ. Look at verses 23 through 27. His service for Christ was superior to that of the false apostles. Look at verse 23. He says, Are they servants of Christ? (laughs) I speak as if insane. I'm more so. Paul is going to great lengths here (laughs) to let them know that he doesn't feel comfortable doing this. It's foolishness. It's insane for me to have to do this. I don't like to have to do this, but I'm willing to do it because you seem to like it. So he says, I'm talking as if I'm insane here. I've lost my mind. But he says, they claim to be servants of Christ. Well, I am even more of a servant of Christ. First off, they couldn't measure up to the physical torture that he routinely endured. Look at verses 23 through 25. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I'm more so. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death, Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. How's that for a list of credentials, folks? Did you catch all that? The the, uh, Romans believed that you could whip a man 39 times without killing him. The 40th would take his life. I doubt that's specifically technically accurate, but it just basically means that oftentimes men would die from the lashings they would receive. And so even the Romans put a limit on it to try to prevent them from dying. And what they're talking about, what Paul is talking about here, is not just being whipped. It's the same scourging that Christ received. It's where the flesh was torn from the body and bones were exposed. Often put a person into shock. Paul says that it happened to him how many times? Five times Paul had to suffer that he says there are three times where he had been beaten with rods he was even stoned one time something that was reserved for adulterers and others hmm since he was shipwrecked spent a few days sleeping or trying to float in the ocean so I doubt any of these false teachers had come in bragging about how they had suffered in Christ. They were too busy talking about the letters after their name and showing the letters they had received from other false teachers. So not only could they not live up to the physical torture that Paul routinely received, but they couldn't measure up to the danger that he constantly faced. Look at verse 26. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. Anybody see a word that repeated there frequently? From. Yeah, from. Good one, Dave. 
You know, we don't often think about the way it was like when Paul was going from city to city. We get in our car and we drive down to Columbus or to Westerville and we're all safe. It wasn't that way in Paul's day. Travelers often faced significant danger as they moved from one place to another. Especially because they carried their finances with them. And so Paul catalogs a number of things. He was constantly in danger, and yet Paul still did what he did. So not only could they not live up to the physical torture that he routinely faced, not only could they not live up to the danger he constantly faced, but one last thing Paul mentions here is they certainly couldn't live up to his level of labor and hardship. Look at verse 27. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Paul worked hard. And oftentimes because of the way that he worked, he wouldn't sleep at night. Found himself oftentimes not having enough food. Not taking the time to eat. Reminds me of something Jesus one time where Jesus was teaching his family got all concerned because he wasn't eating because he was too busy ministering to the people. Paul himself apparently did that. Sometimes he was out in the cold without a way to keep warm. Israel's not like living in the Bahamas in terms of the heat. There are cold nights, warm days. And Paul oftentimes was living and sleeping out there in the wilderness, partly because of his ministry. And so Paul says not only could these or not only does he have the same heritage if you will that these false teachers did but his service and suffering for Christ was much more significant than theirs the third thing he was able to boast about here was his deep concern for the church look at verses 28 through 29 I'll just read those apart from such external things in other words as if that's not enough apart from some external things there is Daily pressure on me of the concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? So Paul basically says, on top of all of these things, I've got the emotional stress and pressure because of the concern, the intense, deep concern that I have for the church. Now, the reason this is important is because Paul almost always describes false teachers as only caring about themselves. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul describes men like these men here using their fake righteousness as a means for personal gain. They were in it for themselves. Some awful lot of these guys that would come in with their fancy outfits and all their rhetoric and their letters of recommendation charging a fee, it's because they were in it for themselves. It was a business. He repeats in Romans chapter 16, that they only serve their own personal interests rather than the interests of Christ. Second Timothy chapter 2, he describes these false teachers as those who upset the faith of God's people. In other words, in, in almost every single instance where false teachers are spoken about in the scriptures, they're in it for themselves, they're not in it for Christ, they're in it for themselves, they're not in it for the body of Christ. It's all about them. So Paul says, these false super apostles have nothing on me because I have deep concern for the church. They don't. (coughs) 
they're in it purely for themselves. Do you think, does it sound at all maybe like some within the church today? You know, I've been reminded time and time again, oftentimes, on how book publishing works within Christian circles. There was a famous pastor um, who's fallen from grace a few years back. Um, He's back in the pulpit now. um, But he had come out with a brand new book. And um, as a way of getting that book to be on the bestseller list, um, the church and others bought up massive numbers of copies to give away. And they do that because it makes that book that appear to be a bestseller on the bestseller list, and then you use that to market, saying, look at how many books I've sold. Now everybody wants to buy a copy because everybody else has bought a copy. And it's actually frowned upon, especially within Christian circles. But he was caught red-handed doing it and called out on it. Um, Was that book really designed first and foremost to benefit and help the church or to enrich the pockets of the one that wrote it? I would argue probably the latter. It's often very common in the church. The way that things are done, it's about financial things and not deep concern for the church. Not always. But Paul says these false super apostles, it's all about themselves, but I've got deep concern. So his third thing he boasts about is his deep concern for the churches. Paul, it's tells us very clearly he he was not motivated by his own self-interest but his concern for God's people he says he struggled with it when people sin he says I'm concerned about their sin he's like when people are weak I become weak as well why? because I'm emotionally engaged with the people that I minister to I have deep concern for them the last thing the fourth thing that Paul boasts about here is the superior revelation which he had received look at verses Well, let's go ahead and read down through. We're going to jump down to chapter 12. Paul says in verse 2 of chapter 12, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or out of the body I do not know, God knows such a man was caught up to the third heaven. And I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body I do not know, God knows, he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. On behalf of such a man I will boast. But I, on my own half I will not. On behalf I will not. What Paul does here is he tells us his fourth boast about how God had given him special revelation. Something these false super apostles hadn't received. Now what's interesting about this is Paul lists these things off but he calls it foolishness. Paul should not have had to have boasted about these things. But because they had fallen in love with these false apostles, Paul decides to show how they really measure up to him. But again, he was uncomfortable in doing that. And the reason he was uncomfortable is because Paul would actually prefer to boast in something else. And that's our third point today. When compelled to boast... Paul chose to boast in his weaknesses instead of his credentials. What he's just done was mere formality. He was compelled to do it. In fact, Paul tells the Corinthians he had been compelled to do it. Look at verse 30 of chapter 11. He says, If I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weaknesses. In other words, he was compelled. If I have to boast, if you're going to make me do that, then I'll choose to boast of my weaknesses. 
Look at chapter 12, verse 1. Boasting is necessary, though it's not profitable. Down in verse 11, he says, I have become foolish. You yourselves, what have compelled me? In other words, Paul's saying, you made me boast in a way that I don't care to boast. I don't like to talk about myself. Because I much prefer to do something different, Paul says, verse 30 of chapter 11, If I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weaknesses. Not my credentials, but my weaknesses. We're going to see three reasons why Paul preferred to boast in his weaknesses rather than his strengths. Okay, you can write these down. First reason Paul preferred to boast in his weakness instead of himself was because he saw no personal value about boasting in himself. Look at verse 1 of chapter 12. Boasting is necessary, though it's not profitable. (laughs) But I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord, which is where he does a little bit of boasting on his visions. But notice he says, it's not of personal value to me. It's not profitable for me to boast in myself. Oftentimes that's why we boast. We think we gain something by doing it. And Paul says, I'm not gaining anything by boasting in myself. It doesn't accomplish the purposes for God in my life. It doesn't accomplish what God wants. The only value in boasting would be self-service. And Paul's not interested in doing that. So I guess for us the charge would be when we boast in ourselves, is it because we find some kind of value in doing so? Paul says there is no value in that. The second reason Paul says he preferred to boast in his weaknesses was because he didn't want others to credit him or think of him more than what he deserved. I love this one. Look at verses 5 and 6 of chapter 12. On behalf of such a man I will boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast except in regard to my weaknesses. For if I do wish to boast, I will not be foolish, for I will be speaking the truth, but I refrain from this so that no one will credit me with more than he sees in me or hears in me. In other words, Paul is saying, I don't want others to think more highly of me than they should. Isn't that really the reason why people boast? They want themselves to look good in the eyes of other people. So they talk themselves up and Paul says, you know what? I don't want to make myself seem bigger than life and get more attention and whatnot than I really deserve. In other words, I would much rather that they simply see in me what they hear me teach and what they hear me say. In other words, Paul wanted to be evaluated based on what people genuinely saw in him, not what he did to puff himself up or to make himself look good. Like I said, as we go back to Slick... He always told us about all of his exploits, but yet we never saw that in him. His personal image didn't seem to fit what we knew of him. When people speak of themselves and boast of themselves, it's primarily to build themselves up, and oftentimes their attempt to make themselves look better or bigger than they really are. And Paul wasn't interested in that. The third reason and final reason Paul gives here why he preferred to boast in his weaknesses rather than his credentials and other things was because he desired God's power to be perfected in him. Look at verses 7 through 11. 
Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, meaning the special vision that he had received from the Lord, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan who tormented me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me, and he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weakness, and here's the clincher, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am content with weakness, with insults, with distress, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, it's then that I'm strong. So basically what Paul tells us here is that the reason he wanted to boast about his weaknesses was because he understood that God's power is manifested through our weaknesses, not through our strengths. And Paul wanted that more than anything else, to see God's power and strength perfected in him. Part of the way this works out, Paul says that the Lord gave him a thorn in the flesh that he wouldn't puff himself up with pride. He asked the Lord to take it away three different times, and he realized, nope, God's not going to do that. Instead, he's going to simply give me the grace to make it through. And what's neat about this is Paul said that he did this gladly. He says, most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast in my weaknesses. Even though Paul struggled, he was more than happy to accept the weaknesses that God had laid upon him. And this would include not just the thorn in the flesh, but all the other things that Paul talked about. The shipwreck, the whippings, the beatings, the cold nights, the hunger, the thirst, the constant pressures that Paul was under. Paul says, I prefer those things because it's through those things that the Lord causes his power to be perfected in me. He says, for when I am weak, that's when I'm really strong. So what we see in Paul is that when he was compelled to boast, he would much rather talk about the way that the Lord was working in his life through those things than he was in talking about himself. Paul ends his boasting with a rebuke. Look at verses 13 through, or I'm sorry, 11 through 13. Paul says, I become foolish. There that word is again. I become foolish. You yourselves compelled me to have to boast. Actually, I should have been commended by you, for in no respect was I inferior to the most eminent, these super apostles, even though I'm a nobody. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance, by signs and wonders and miracles, For in what respect were you treated as inferior to the rest of the churches except that I myself did not become a burden to you? Forgive me for this wrong. Boy, talk about a stiff rebuke. Basically what Paul just did there is he says, Look, you've favored these super apostles because they came in with all the bluster and all their pompous, arrogant boasting. But you didn't recognize and see what God had put right in front of you. Paul should not have had to have boasted because they should have been able to see 
in Paul. His love and devotion to them, his humility, his desire for them to know Christ and to grow in Him. They should have seen that Paul was caring for them, that by working with his hands he didn't want to burden them. Paul says those are all the signs of a true apostle. It set the standard for what they should have been favoring. You sense, in some degree, a little bit of hurt here. But even, you know, Paul is even gracious here in the way that he rebukes them. I think the last phrase there, forgive me for this wrong, is to be understood as ironic. Certainly Paul doesn't believe that he had done wrong. He's calling them out for the way that they had treated him. So, what does this mean for us? What do we do with with this? Well, obviously, Paul is telling us that we shouldn't be boasting in our own abilities, our own skills, our own accomplishments or credentials for the purpose of building ourselves up. Now, clearly, Paul's not talking here. You know, Kimberly, I think I shared last week, filled out an application for a job. And one of the questions on there is, why should we hire you? And she struggled a little bit with that. I don't like to talk about myself. You know? Well, is what Paul did here with talking about his credentials, was that really arrogant boasting? No. It was driven by a whole different purpose. Talking about, about, about his abilities and his skills or, or whatnot here, primarily because he was compelled to do so. It was a defense for himself. So it's not wrong for us to say, hey, I'm qualified for this. But where it crosses a line is when we begin to boast about ourselves and puff ourselves up and talk about ourselves. And when we take too much pride in things that have happened in our lives and we simply take credit for ourselves and don't recognize the Lord's work and all of that. And rather than doing that, what we should do is we should boast in our weaknesses. We should think about those. So rather than spending time always thinking about how good we've done or all the great things we've accomplished or about how great I am at this or great I am at that, maybe we should sit back and realize whether or not those things were ultimately the work of Christ. Christ's power being revealed in us. I think oftentimes about my own role as a father. Um, I didn't know how to be a dad when I had kids. I'm not sure I know today how to be a dad. Um... I could puff myself up and say, did a great job as a dad. Got two lovely children. And... Or I could sit back and go, man, I... you know how many times I blew it? But it's times like that that Christ's power was revealed. And by the grace of God, I have two lovely daughters. Not because of me. I think about the job that I, I do on a daily basis for work. Um, I do a decent job. But it's not because I'm smarter than anybody else, wiser than anybody else. God has done some neat things in my job. All by His grace, His goodness to me, His mercy. Um, we got to boast about where we're weak and where God actually has done the work. Think about our salvation. There's a reason why we did nothing to gain our salvation. Ephesians chapter 2 says, For by the grace of God you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not as a result of your works, so that no one can boast. 
So our salvation certainly isn't of our own making. We can't say, well, I made the decision. I came to Christ. No, God called you. You responded. I think about that today, how I ran from Christ literally for at least six months, begging for God to do something in my life because life was not what it should have been. Some guy trying to share the gospel with me almost on a weekly basis, and I kept telling him I'm not interested, not interested, not interested. After six months, I finally went, okay, I'm interested, talk to me. I did everything I could to run, but God said, no. I can't boast in that, can I? That was all God. Paul wrote that the gospel excludes our ability to boast in ourselves. Romans 3.27 says, where then is boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No. By the law of faith. What's interesting about that, though, is that does tell us we now have a reason to boast. Romans chapter 15, verse 17 says, Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. So where is it that the Christian should boast? We live in a culture and a society where, much like the Corinthians, um, we boast. We're expected. You know, in fact, we're told, if you don't, you have low self-esteem. You know? Look at our president. Part of what makes our president so offensive to many is because of the way that he boasts. But if you think about it, one of the reasons I think he got elected was partly because people liked that, were drawn to that to some degree. Christians, however, should be the direct opposite, should we not? When people hear us talk, when people hear us boast... What should we boast in? Should we boast in ourselves? Boast in our own accomplishments? I think like Paul, if people were to boast about the number of churches that Paul had planted, if they were to boast about the number of letters, I think if Paul were sitting here and say, wow, cool, Paul, you know how many letters you wrote? This is really neat. They're still here. You know how many churches you planted? You know how many people came to Christ because of you? If you Paul would probably be a little embarrassed. He would reflect back and say, that's all Christ. That's not me. That's all Christ. It's all Christ. So as Christians, that's really what ought to identify us, is when people see us. Do they hear us boast about the things that Christ has done through our weaknesses? Or do they hear us boast about ourselves, the things that we've accomplished? I think it helps set the mindset for us of where our boasting ought to be.